from the Mercy One Studio. Be not afraid. Jesus is on the way to encounter you. Join Father Fabian Moncada every Tuesday at 9 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio. Also tune in Sundays at 10.30 a.m. for Be Not Afraid in Spanish. Now, hear the good news and be not afraid. Be Not Afraid is underwritten by Associated Ophthalmologists and Dream Dirt Farm Real Estate and Auction Services. Good morning. Welcome to Iowa Catholic Radio, 11.50 a.m., 88.5 FM. Be not afraid. This morning, we were talking about the Holy Magisterium of the Holy Catholic Church. Good morning, Father PJ. Good morning, Father Fabian. Good How to are you? Good to have you here. Good. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O God, who in the absence of your Son had raised up a fallen world, Feel you faithful with holy joy, for on those you have rescued from slavery to sin, you bestow eternal gladness through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, so today we have a continuation about our previous program last week when we were talking about the seat of Peter the first pope, and obviously the hierarchical structure of the Holy Mother, the Church. Mm -hmm. And today, one of the questions that, uh, looking around about a hierarchical organization of the Catholic Church is, what is the magisterium of the Catholic Church? What is the meaning of the word magisterians? How we can connect it as a simple followers of Jesus Christ into the structure of the magisterium of the Catholic Church? One of the earliest descriptions of the church is as mater et magister, mother and teacher. So the magisterium of the church is the teaching office of the church, the way in which the church teaches the, the content, the stuff, as it were, of the faith. Also enlighten us to probably understand better that it is not an a presumption attitude from the Holy Mother of the church when enlighten us in terms of moral in terms of ethical structure and education for the people of God. So it's not a disorganization about the, the, the common good. It's different like the probably my interpretation about what is moral, what is ethical. Also, this education helps us to understand that we are in community. Uh, you know, St. Paul says in First Thessalonians, I, I received what I now hand on to you that... The Lord Jesus on the night before he died did take the bread, say the blessing, right? And, th and that's how we receive the Holy Eucharist. And, he, and, and the word that gets used there in the Greek, right, is, is basically, I tradition what was traditioned on to you. That the Lord tradition, because hand on, right, literally means to pass over, right? So, 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 so the, what the magisterium does is not, um, it's not that we created an office in Rome for smart priests to think stuff up and then impose new rules on people or, or create new dogmas to impose on people or something like that. Rather, it's, it, it, it's the constant conservation or preservation of the deposit of the faith that's been handed on to us, the treasure that we hold in the earthen vessels of, of our lives. One of the frequent uh, misunderstandings about this kind of structure and education is bureaucracy. You know, bureaucracy, especially in the significant, huge institutions. How we can avoid that misunderstanding when we are followers of Jesus Christ by inspiration of the Holy Spirit? You know, I, th I think one, one thing is just 
to be honest, when bureaucracy happens. Like organizations tend toward this and I lived in Rome. I, I, I went through a certain amount like it was hard to get paperwork done and that kind of thing. But um, but that's different than like the institution as itself being bureaucratic, right? Um, the fact that there are individual offices or, or persons that cause problems is, is way, way, way different than like the, the institution's purpose is to make life harder for other people. And at the same time, obviously, we need to refer to the Holy Scriptures, the essence and the nature of our faith. The Holy Scriptures is not not only a legacy, as also part of our life. Right. So the, the scriptures are alive. That's really the, the the big idea behind the magisterium is that is that just as the Torah served as the written part of the law, and then the the Talmud functioned as the sort of official interpretive lens that that was used to understand the Torah. So the new law, the Gospels, um, are used under the interpretive lens of the magisterium to understand what is and isn't the case. In some ways, we have been multiple Bible, if may I say, versions that create certain misunderstanding what mm -hmm. is the essence and nature of the Holy Scriptures. How we can discern the nature of the original version of the Holy Scripture? So the scriptures are always to be read in light of the tradition itself. The scriptures are really a product of the tradition, right? It's the community itself that recognized which books ought to be in and which ones oughtn't. And that was determined based on which books were appropriate to be read in the context of the liturgical assembly. And so so then it's it, it's those charged with oversight, the overseers, the episcopoi, the, the bishops, who are then charged as the official interpreters of the text. And they do so. They don't just do this on their own. They do so um, blocked in, uh, uh, locked in rather, to to the tradition. And so they look first to the fathers, those closest to the experience um, of the risen Lord themselves and the way that they understood the scriptures. And then they try and make them applicable or understandable in light of our contemporary situation. So we cannot separate the Holy Scriptures from the magisteriums because they came together. Yeah, they're mutually interpretive uh, frameworks that, that that serve to help direct the Christian life sort of in the day-to-day. -day. And at the same time, the hierarchical organization of the Holy Catholic Church, obviously it's supported by the Holy Scriptures mm -hmm. and is structured by the people of God appointed. Right. Remember that we are in Iowa Catholic Radio. Be not afraid. Thank you, Dream Dirt Farm Real Estate and Auction, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio, and be not afraid. Dream Dirt Farm Real Estate and Auction is a licensed, accredited, and experienced farm brokerage and auction company. Learn more at dreamdirt.com, including their online auction house, FarmBid, at bid.dreamdirt.com. Dream Dirt Farm and Equipment Auction Services, Farm Auctions, done right. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Blessman International. The coronavirus has impacted lives in Iowa and around the world. This is especially true in rural South Africa, where COVID-19 restrictions have led to vulnerable children being hospitalized due to starvation. To combat this hunger, Blessman International now offers a program called One Child at a Time. You can sponsor a child in South Africa for $1 a day. Learn more at blessmaninternational.org. blessmaninternational.org. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know 
Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at BigRedQ-DeMoines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. What is the best gift ever? Well, some might say a Catholic education, and I agree. But if you think you can't afford Catholic education, think again. Apply for CTO, and you could receive up to half your tuition for kindergarten through 12th grade. More information is online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Welcome back to Iowa Catholic Radio, 11.50 a.m., 88.5 FM, 94.5 FM. Father PJ, Father Fabian, we're talking about the Magisterium of the Holy Catholic Church. We are. So if we have this intimate relationship between Magisterium and the Holy Scripture, what we can talk about the Holy Scripture? What is the meaning of the word didache? Right. So, so didache uh, comes from the Greek word for 12. Um, and, and so the Didache is one of the earliest examples of magisterium that we would have. Um, this would be along, you know, with like, say, the letters of Pope Clement or something like that. These are very, very early documents from the second century, um, which express the, 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 the teaching of the church and specifically of the apostles and their successors. So the Didache is so called because it's the, literally the teaching of the Twelve. When we're talking about the teaching of the Twelve, we are in a very inclusive manner from the first Pope, St. Peter, until today, Pope Francis. Mm -hmm. So I can believe that all those uh, dogmatic uh, communications, documents that sent him by Pope Francis are inspired in the Holy Scriptures and obviously part of the magisterium of the Church. Right. So, So every bishop, everyone who oversees a church, to a certain degree, uh, pastors share in this in a kind of minor way, um, has a teaching office, right? So you and I, we preach every Sunday and we, and we write covers for the bulletin. And the covers for the bulletin are, are, are kind of the written form of our public teaching, right? Bishops wind up doing the same thing, obviously in a more formal way, and because they share in the fullness of the priesthood in a way you and I don't, they're, what they write carries more weight. Um, but so w what happens is when big decisions need to be made or when very important things have to be done, uh, the bishops don't do this on their own. Even the Holy Father doesn't typically do this on his own. He gathers as many of the bishops as he can together. And so in the early days, they, they would gather the 12 or the successors of the 12, those first 12 sees, and have them come together to discuss matters that were of importance for the whole church. And a very good example about that kind of election, discernments, is the conclave. Right. The election of the Holy Father. The election Father. of the Holy Father himself. So, so, that, so that bishops... Um, 
you know, in uh, in 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 the early church in most dioceses, bishops were selected by the the presbyters, the priests of the area, right? Uh-huh. But but there was a recognition very very early on that the bishop of Rome had a, a kind of pride of place and and, and importance uh, in unifying the church. Um, he was a sort of a peacemaker when bishops couldn't get along with each other. And so an alternative election scheme was devised in order to make sure that it wasn't simply the clergy of Rome that wound up being responsible for the for, for, for the bishop of Rome. But the cardinals of the church, who are the ones who elect the pope today, are all still theoretically the diocesan priests of the, of, of the diocese of Rome. So each cardinal, the cardinal archbishop of Chicago, has a parish in Rome that theoretically he's pastor of. Very interesting. And obviously all those meetings, may I said, begin with the imploring of the divine mercy upon them, invoking invoking the presence of the Holy Spirit to create a uh, seriously spiritual environment to receive the divine will through their decisions. Mm-hmm. So it's not a uh, simple meeting and moving forward and choose whatever kind of person with certain qualities. Yeah, this isn't like a meeting of the local Rotary Club or something like that. This is very intentionally, you know, a, a gathering of of religious men who are themselves already heads of churches, who um, who pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit so that they can discern together what's best for the church. A great example of this comes from the scriptures itself, right? In the in the middle of Acts, you've got what we now call the Council of Jerusalem, which serves as the kind of model for how church councils are to work from from then on. But it's to deal with the question of Jews and Gentiles and whether we have to circumcise Gentiles and what foods they can eat. This was a really important issue in the early church. It's not that big of a deal today. We don't really think about whether or not people need to be circumcised to be Christians because this got handled back then. Well, the same kind of thing happens nowadays. So, you know, so in our own day, bioethical questions, what sort of uh, surgical procedures are permissible and which aren't? Um, uh, how how close one can be uh, in terms of uh, like uh, vaccines coming from stem cell lines derived from aborted fetuses? How are those permissible to use or not? The, the, this isn't like you're not going to find that in the letter to St. James or something, <laughs> but you're going to find the principles that we can use to discern whether Excellent. or not those things are right within the scriptures and within sort of the consistent application in the tradition. And that's what the bishops are for. And so they help us understand in the here and now what make for good decisions, what make for bad decisions, and what keeps us consistent with the tradition we've received. So we have been talking about the apostolic succession, the magisterium of the Holy Catholic Church, the intimate relationship with the Holy Scriptures. What is the role in this uh, picture the catechisms of the Catholic Church. So the catechism, so catechisms follow councils. Um, so the catechism of the, what we now call the catechism of the Catholic Church is really the catechism of Vatican II. It just came 30 years late. Prior to that, the thing that um, we refer to as the, the Baltimore Catechism, which was the common uh, lay people's catechism here in the States, there was the Penny Catechism in, in Great Britain and Ireland. Um, that was really uh, functionally the catechism of Vatican I, and prior to that, we had the Roman Catechism, which was the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Catechisms um, come about after councils. Councils are called to answer specific questions. The bishops get together. They produce documents that are meant to answer these very specific questions. But they often answer them at a very high level. So then the catechism is devised um, as, a, as a sort of universal means of re-articulating the faith, not articulating a new faith, but articulating the old faith in a new way, which, which will be um, – 
usable, uh, user-friendly as it were for people today. And then those are sent out to the bishops of the world and the bishops themselves create local catechisms that are devised uh, to, to target sort of the people in their own area. It's very interesting that connection about this reflection with the this coming Sunday gospel. Why do you speak to them in parables, says the Lord? But we will be responding to this question after our break. Iowa Catholic Radio. Thank you to Mercy College of Health Sciences, downtown Des Moines, for underwriting our show, The Uncommon Good, with me, Bo Bonner. And I'm Bud Marr. A degree from Mercy College provides endless possibilities. Students have access to patients with complex medical conditions, state-of-the-art medical facilities, highly motivated healthcare professionals, and classroom professors that transform them into servant leaders. You can start the programs in fall, spring, or summer. There are endless possibilities available online at mchs.edu slash kwky. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio's broadcast of Dowling Catholic Sports and Activities is provided by Kemen, a global ingredient manufacturer using science to transform the quality of life for 80% of the world. Kemen is on the leading edge of molecular science, manufacturing more than 500 specialty ingredients for the human and animal health and nutrition, pet food, aquaculture, nutraceutical, food technologies, crop technologies, and textile industries. Kemen strives to sustainably transform the quality of life every day for 80% of the world with their products and services. Kemen, using science to transform the world. Online at Kemen.com. Since 1924, St. Vincent de Paul has been helping those less fortunate work towards self-sufficiency. Last year, St. Vincent de Paul helped over 20,000 individuals with food, clothing, and shelter, while also offering classes in financial literacy, high school completion, career readiness, and prisoner re-entry. SVDPDSM.org, 515-282-8327. Shop, donate, volunteer, serve. This message was brought to you by Homemakers Furniture. This is Dr. David Anders, host of Call to Communion. Catholic Radio is the best tool we have for evangelization in the church today. I believe your support of your Catholic Radio station can make an eternal difference in the life of an individual, a family, and in society. So support Catholic Radio. Would you consider a $30 a month donation? Your support keeps Iowa Catholic Radio on the air, connecting people to Christ. You can give securely online at iowacatholicradio.com, the Iowa Catholic Radio app, or call 515-223-1150. Welcome back to Iowa Catholic Radio, Father PJ, Father Fabian, be not afraid. So this coming Sunday, we have the 15th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Mm-hmm. At a beautiful piece of the first reading for this uh, Liturgy of the World Sunday said, the book of the prophet Isaiah said, Thus says the Lord, just as from the heavens the rain and the snow came down, and do not return there till they have watered the earth making it fertile and fruitful, exactly as the Holy Mother of the Church. Mm -hmm. So it's a connection and intimate relationship. So if we have the Magisterium, if we have the Holy Scriptures, the the meaning of the liturgy of the Word is to re-educate, to feed in the people of God with the Word of God to continue the journey from this temporal life to the eternal life. The liturgy is itself sort of the gospel with flesh on, right? This is where the church is most perfectly the church. We said last week, right, that one of the one of the greatest images of just what the church is, is the bishop celebrating the Holy Eucharist, assisted by his presbyters, surrounded by the deacons and the lay faithful, right? And so, so, so the the liturgy itself kind of puts um, flesh and bones on on the teaching that is espoused in the magisterium, which is itself derived 
from uh, from the scriptures. So you, so you so you have the scriptures as the gift, the magisterium as sort of the homily, and the church as the result. Beautiful, beautiful connection. So, what is the best and easiest way to help people understand God's, God's kingdom? Is one of the the questions that came from this coming gospel. So, so the, the breaking through of the kingdom is the dominant theme of Jesus's uh, life and ministry. He talks about it over and over and over again. And right up until his death, there's this question of what is this kingdom? You know, if, if my kingdom were of this world, you would have no power against me. There's, there, there's a clear sense that Jesus is doing something new and that the something new that he's doing is going to transcend the time and place that he's in and going to wind up affecting us all. The church historically has understood this kingdom um, to be incarnated in the person of Jesus and continued in the life of the church. So the church is the kingdom trying to sort of re-hyphen incarnate, right? Re-instantiate um, uh, the, the, the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord in every time and place. Father, why we are consistent using the word new evangelization, new evangelization. So what is new? Yeah, what happened to the old evangelization? Uh, yes, it, it's, it's curiously because people have been asking in several times, what is the new evangelization? It's new documents. It's uh, new guidelines to promote the good news from the Lord. So what is the meaning of the word new evangelization in the context, obviously, the magisterium? So St. John Paul II, who popularized it, um, really was drawing on uh, an encyclical of, of Paul VI called Evangelii Nunciandi. Um, and it was this, it, again, it was all following Vatican II. It was the sense that we're in a different world than we were in before. Once upon a time, the world was, the Western world was structurally Christian. They were run by Christian kings um, and operated under Christian auspices, whether they were Catholic, Protestant, or Orthodox. That's simply not the case almost anywhere anymore. And so, so Christians in a secular world, in a pluralistic world, in the East, as well as the West, the North, as well as the South, we have to operate differently. And we have to preach in some ways much more like the early Christians did in a world that was structurally opposed to them as opposed to being structurally supportive. So if we, if we move all these apparatus of the evangelization, magisterium, and also that scripture inspiration to our local parishes, we're talking about religious education. So also is how we can continue feeding and extending the formation education for the Holy Mother of the Church in our local level. Yeah. I mean, part of it, like I think religious ed is a good example of how um, sometimes we probably get this wrong, right? Is that, <laughs> is that, is that you know, we, we, we tend to default to kind of a classroom model for everything. Um, right. and, uh, and this is not a slam on Catholic schools. They, 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 they still serve an important function. But the, the vision here is clearly um, we're not doing business as usual anymore. There just aren't enough people around. The church has to try and make the proclamation of the gospel of the living, dying, and rising of the Lord Jesus new. And that can't happen by just expecting people to come and take a class in your church basement. That's not the way this is going to work. Absolutely. Most of what we do shouldn't probably be on church property. It should be out either in people's homes or businesses, bars, coffee shops, whatever. Um, it needs it needs to not be contained into the space. What the space is for is once you've begun to stir up the faith, once conversion has become a real thing, then you bring people to the celebration of the sacraments. That necessarily is going to be in in on on site as it were in a sacred space but that's far down the line we're, we're doing real kind of background work primary evangelization just telling people about jesus and oftentimes telling people about jesus um in a situation where what they think they know about the faith is a weird composite of the history channel and the da vinci code and something their <laughs> uncle bob said once and 
and and it, it's all very very muddled and confused. And so what we're really trying to do is bring clarity and truth to a situation which is often rife with disillusionment and frustration. Father, but you you bring up and a very interesting point that. Edu uh, religious education, catechesis, formation, also preparation for the sacraments imply more than simple instruction. Mm. It's part of the daily life to helping the people to continue the formation. In fact, we call in sacrament of initiation like baptism, first communion and confirmation. But what happened later on? What happened with our juvenile people of God? The sacraments themselves, the sacraments are called sacraments of faith. So they imply faith at least sort of passive faith. And the fact that so many people disappear suggests they probably didn't have it to begin with. And so, 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 so what we're doing, like, you know, just to immediately default to sacramental prep, what do I have to do to get my kid first communion? Well, does your kid want first communion? Here's what I want for your kid. Here's how I know your kid's ready for first communion. When they come to me and they say, Father, I, I want to receive Jesus. Or, Father, I need to go to confession because I did something real bad and I know that what you do when you do something real bad is you go to the priest. That's how I know when your kid's ready for First Communion. This is a more conscious, natural expression of the Holy Spirit through the people when they request leaving the sacraments. What about the parents? So right now, of course, what we're trying to do often is formation of parents through the kids, kind of through the back door, because <laughs> most of the parents are attached to a structure or a system, but not necessarily to the faith. Father, it has been a very fruitful discussion about the majesty of the Holy Mother of the Church, the necessity, obviously, about the focus in the Holy Scriptures. Could you please give us your blessing to continue reflecting and living the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives? May the peace and blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Jesus is on the way to encounter you. Join Father Fabian Moncada every Tuesday at 9 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio. Also tune in Sundays at 10.30 a.m. for Be Not Afraid in Spanish. Now, hear the good news and be not afraid. Be Not Afraid is underwritten by Associated Ophthalmologists and Dream Dirt Farm Real Estate and Auction Services.